The following presentation was recorded during Teachers Week at Faith Builders. More information on Faith Builders events at fbep.org. I'd like to read you a story this morning. It's called The Dot and the Line. A Romance in Lower Mathematics by Norton Jester. Once upon a time, there was a sensible, straight line who was hopelessly in love. With a dot. You're the beginning and the end, the hub, the core, and the quintessence, he told her tenderly, but the frivolous dot wasn't a bit interested. For she had only bad eyes for a wild and unkempt squiggle who never seemed to have anything on his mind at all. They were everywhere together, singing and dancing and frolicking and laughing and laughing and who knows what else. He is so gay and free, so uninhibited and full of joy, she informed the line coolly. And you are as stiff as a stick, dull, conventional, and repressed, tied and trammeled, subdued, smothered, stifled, squashed, squelched, and quenched. Come around when you get straightened out, kid, the squiggle added with a rasping chuckle as he chased her into the high grass. Why take chances, replied the lion without much conviction. I'm dependable. I know where I'm going. I've got dignity. But this was small consolation for the miserable lion. Each day he grew more and more morose. He stopped eating or sleeping and before long was completely on edge. His worried friends noticed how terribly thin and drawn he had become and did their best to cheer him up. She's not good enough for you. She lacks depth. They all look alike anyway. Why don't you find a nice straight line and settle down? But he hardly heard a word they said. Any way he looked at her, she was perfect. Top, side, front. He saw things in her that no one else could possibly imagine. She is more beautiful than any straight line I've ever seen, he sighed wistfully, and they all shook their heads. Even allowing for his feelings, they felt this was stretching a point. And so he spent his time dreaming of the inconstant dot and imagining himself as the forceful figure she was sure to admire. The line as a celebrated daredevil. The line as a leader in world affairs. The line as a fearless law enforcement agent. The line as a potent force in the world of art. The line as an international sportsman. But he soon grew tired of self-deception and decided that perhaps the squiggly line might have the answer after all. I, like spo I lack spontaneity. I must learn to let go, to be free, to express the inner passionate me. But it just didn't make any difference. For no matter how often or how hard he tried, he always ended up the same way. 
And yet he continued trying and failing and trying again until when he had all but given up, he discovered that at last, that with great concentration and self-control, he was able to change direction and bend wherever he chose. So he did, and he made an angle. And then again, and made another, and then another, and then another, and then another, and then another. Hot stuff, he shouted, much impressed with his efforts. Then in a wild burst of enthusiasm, he set up for half the night, putting on an outrageous display of side spins and angles. Freedom is not a license for chaos, he observed the next morning. Ooh, what a head. There and then, he decided not to squander his talents in cheap exhibitionism. For months, he practiced in secret. Soon he was making squares and triangles, hexagons, parallelograms, rhomboids, polyhedrons, trapezoids, parallel pipeds, decagons, tetragons, and an infinite number of, in of other shapes so complex that he had to letter his sides and angles to keep his place. Before long, he had learned to carefully control ellipses, circles, and complex curves, and to express himself in any shape he wished. You name it, I'll play it, he said. But all his successes meant nothing to him alone, and so off he went to seek the dot once again. He doesn't stand a chance, muttered the squiggle in a voice that sounded like bad plumbing. But the line, who was bursting with old love and new confidence, was not to be denied. Throughout the evening, he was by turns mysterious, clever, and dazzling. Profound, complex, and erudite. Eloquent. Versatile and enigmatic. Compelling. The dot was overwhelmed. She giggled like a schoolgirl and didn't know what to do with her hands. Then she turned slowly to the squiggle who had suddenly developed a severe cramp. Well, she inquired, trying to give him every chance. The squiggle, taken by surprise, did the best he could. Is that all? She demanded. Well, I guess so, replied the miserable squiggle. That is, I suppose so. I mean, what I mean is I never know how it's going to turn out. Hey, have you heard one about the two guys who... The dot wondered why she had never noticed how hairy and coarse he was and how untidy and graceless and how he mispronounced his L's and picked his ears. And suddenly she realized that what she had thought was freedom and joy was nothing but anarchy and sloth. You are as meaningless as a melon, she said coldly, undisciplined, unkempt, and unaccountable, insignificant, indeterminate, and inadvertent, out of shape, out of order, out of place, and out of luck. <laughs> with that, she turned to the lion and shyly took his arm. Do the one with all the funny curves again, honey, she cooed and softly as they strolled away. And he did. And they lived, if not happily ever after, at least 
reasonably so. The moral to the vector belongs the spoils. Now, I guess, my guess is that I was reading that. You were doing quite a bit of thinking. Oh, probably all over the place. And, of course, that was the point. We're here again this morning to think about thinking. And I have a number of other tools that I want to give to you. But before that, you know, we, we really are running out of time rather rapidly. And uh, we're not going to get everything covered that I wanted to get covered. And so I just want to take a few moments to see, are there any, any particular questions that you want to ask or that you want to have batted around a little bit? Uh, about the subject of getting our students thinking. Anything that you say, well, oh, I just wish I could ask this or whatever. Anyone? Okay, a couple more resources that I uh, just wanted to point out. In terms of worldview development, a number of you have been asking me for something more there. And uh, so let me give you a couple ideas. Universe Next Door. I was going to mention this one yesterday and I forgot. It's called a Basic Worldview Catalog. And it's, it's also by James Sire. That was another one that I mentioned yesterday. Discipleship of the Mind is by him. This one, the universe next door, outlines, I think it's about 10 different worldviews. And answers the basic, shows how they answer the basic questions that we outlined on Wednesday or Thursday. Okay, so the universe next door is a possibility. Uh, if you really want a lot of material... There's this one, Understanding the Times. This book is really a mixed bag, in my opinion. There's, uh, there's some good stuff here, uh, but it's not the place to start in terms of worldview development. It does give you a lot of good resources. One of my biggest problems with the book probably is it makes a, a big deal out of, out of communism and Marxism and probably is not as... Well, they want to make a big deal that it's still a, a very prevalent uh, worldview that needs to be addressed, and they, they would have a point there. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, this, this would be a possibility. One other one that's, that's a little easier to read is called The Journey by Peter Kreft. And this is, the subtitle is A Spiritual Roadmap for Modern Pilgrims. And it's kind of a fascinating story of, of a of a man who takes a journey and he's led by different by a couple of different guides on his journey toward truth and you walk through some of the major the major uh, philosophical questions in here the first guide that he has is socrates and then it's followed uh, after a while socrates can't take him any further and moses meets meets him and takes him further and uh, and takes him to to christ so uh, anyway, fascinating little story here that, that can develop some of those ideas. Okay. We did not finish up your handout from yesterday, I don't believe. Is that right? And uh, I one of the, I'll just talk a little bit about that. I don't think I'm going to talk about that in detail, but it is Projects. Projects. What are the kinds of, if you want to get your students thinking, get them out of workbooks, get them out of worksheets, and get them working on projects. Now, I say that with a lot of caution, because don't do it 
unless you're committed to seeing projects work. Because projects can be a real curse to the classroom. You're gonna, if you're going to do projects, it's going to take a lot of commitment, it's going to take a lot of energy on your part to see that they're done well. Because it's easy for projects to deteriorate into just a, a social experience. And uh, you don't want that happening. So you, if, for projects to work, it's going to take a lot of planning, a lot of effort on your part to see that the students are engaged in the project and not just uh, having a good time with each other. However, I want to also quickly say that projects are one of the ways that you, you can really have some of what Jonas, I believe it was, was calling defining moments for, uh, or no, it was Melvin, first aid, talking about defining moments for your students. For me, this was big, both in my experience and then as a teacher. Let me just tell you a couple things, just to get your thinking going, perhaps. Some projects that were very successful. I've had some projects that were not successful, and um, I don't know have a whole lot to say about those other than that they happened. But there were some that really went well. Uh, one was an Old Testament survey museum that we did when we, we had a high school, a high school class in Old Testament survey. That's what we decided to do instead of a final program. We made a museum. It was a, uh, a living museum. The students were part of it. But we had a walkthrough. We took a, a room. It was probably about I don't know, maybe uh, half the size of this room, probably not quite that big. And we made a walkthrough out of all the books of the Bible. And so as the parents and visitors would come in, they would start and start with Genesis and begin to walk through all of, well, it was all the books of the Old Testament. And uh, we had a tremendous, uh, tremendously valuable time in both planning and, and pulling that off. Uh, the, as the parents would come, they were met by a life-size statue of, uh, of um, Goliath. And he greeted them. We had a recorded message, Goliath speaking and welcoming everyone to the, the uh, Old Testament museum. And, of course, we just made him cut out a, a body out of cardboard, and then we folded paper. You know how you can fold paper back and forth to make kind of a chain type of thing? We did that for his legs, but there he was, uh, full size. And he welcomed everybody. And then as people would walk through, we had... Um, I remember one of the, one of the scenes, one of the students, I think it was from, uh, it was one of the prophetic books where the student was in a basket and uh, there was a sign on top of the basket that said, uh, pick, pick up the lid or something like that and they would pick it up and the student would, would stand up and say whatever in that vision that you find in the prophets, whatever the person said and, uh, then they could put the lid back down, the student would go back on. But, Okay, so we just had a lot of fun with that project. Uh, you talk about students who were engaged in thinking. They really were. Another, uh, another project that we did, this was uh, probably three years ago, uh, but it's continued on every year now. It's something of a tradition. We took one afternoon a week off for the first semester, well, almost the first semester of the school year, to prepare an outdoor meal. What I did, I told them the first week of school, I told the students, look, what we're going to plan to do is at Thanksgiving, we're going to have a meal prepared for your student, for your parents. You're going to have them in, you're going to serve them a meal, but it has to be done all outdoors. You have to grow the food, kill it, whatever. Uh, and, and that's how we're going to, uh, we're going to do it all from scratch. And we took an afternoon a week. The, the girls would go out and they'd practice. 
uh, cooking in pots in the ground or uh, doing a chicken on a spit or whatever. And uh, so they practiced and practiced, and the, and the guys were out chopping down trees. They were making benches for their parents to sit on. And they couldn't use chainsaws or any of that either. And uh, they had to plant it and pull it off. I, I had veto power, but uh, they did the, the planning and the work. It was a project that really pulled the students together, got them thinking, got them uh, being creative. Okay, there's just two ideas. Those um, would be group projects. There's also individual projects. You know, my school experience revolves around a project, and it was science fair. I was in public school, and in fourth grade, we got introduced to science fair, and I did a project, and uh, that, was, that was the beginning of, of something big for me because I got, really got into this, and I had teachers who, who would take me to um, university libraries to do research. Um, my parents took me around to um, some uh, towns where they used algae in a sewer to, to handle sewage, and I got all excited about the possibilities of using algae, and, and uh, what, what was it that, in, that got me thinking, that got me working with this? It was a project that teachers had us do in fourth grade. And that continued on. I did, I worked with Science Fair, spent hundreds and hundreds of hours on my own working for, toward a Science Fair project up until 11th grade. And um, the, uh, just, one of the, one of the things that that uh, took me to was uh, back during the, the time when the space shuttle was was uh, in its, some of its infancy, they ran a contest with students asking for suggestions, projects to fly in space. We well, see, I'd already been working with algae, and I, I hear about this possibility, and so I get to thinking again, what what could happen here, and uh, design an experiment for for a uh, a project where you would grow algae in space in order to feed the astronauts and the of course in, in order to make that a possibility I had to come up with ways that people would want to eat algae. Uh, the kind I was working with was chlorella pyranoidosa. It's just a green unicellular type of thing. It's, it's the kind of gunk that you find in swimming pools a lot of times. And uh, But I, would, I was doing some work on putting it in mashed potatoes and uh, mom made different types of cookies with putting this, this algae in in order to, uh, and then I'd take this to school and I'd, I'd do test, taste tests with the students and to see, you know, if they would actually want, want to eat this stuff. Well, where did this all start? It started with a project that I was asked to do. It inspired a lot, I, I, and that's, that's the point I want to make here. The projects can be big. They can be defining moments if they're done well. Any questions or comments on that one before we move on? Okay. Yes, Jonas. What makes a project fail? What makes a project fail? Uh, I think my experience has been if I haven't put enough time and energy into planning what the students do and how they do it in ways that I can that I can make sure they're staying on task. 
um, if I don't give them enough help to actually get them over the crunch period of, of uh, the work that goes into a project, that can cause it to fail. You probably have some, some ideas. Yeah. That, that's really hard to say uh, because I have. I've had plenty of projects that I've done with my students that have failed, and I've been in plenty of classrooms doing projects that didn't. You, you couldn't pull it off. But I think the biggest thing is a lack of planning and willingness to put the kind of energy into it that's required. Someone else want to comment on that? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's right. You have to be enthusiastic and involved and excellent. Thank you. So the, the possibilities of failure are great. It's much easier just to let them keep uh, filling out worksheets. But the, the potential for significant impact is also incredible as well. And that's why you really need to consider it as, as a part of your repertoire as a teacher. <clears throat> Okay, tool number four. And I just put this tool as the curious. I'm convinced that teachers need to be collectors. You need to be collectors of all kinds of interesting and fascinating things. And you can find these all over the place. And, and so if you're, for example, this weekend, if you heard a story or uh, an example or something that you'd like to use, well, Beg, borrow, and steal it. That's the way we, we uh, develop that repertoire of the curious. Let me give you a couple things that you need to be... By the way, you know, when I was... Uh, I love hunting arrowheads. And as, as a young boy, I used to do this quite a bit. I just told my wife the other day, I am anxious to get do some more arrowhead hunting here in the next, the next while. It's been a while since I've done it. But I remember as, as a, a boy, I think it was probably 10 or 11, I was down in a creek uh, close to our property, and it was all brushing wood up, but I was wading down through the creek uh, with a couple friends, and we were making some discoveries. Here we saw where an old mill had been, and the dam, you could see the piece in the woods, you could see the, the edges of the dam, the middle had, had washed out, but... Uh, we were there in the creek, and here we found the um, the hub of the wheel, the, the the big water wheel. We found out we were getting all excited about some of those discoveries, and and then I felt something. My feet were, you know, it was about this much water, and then my feet were down in the mud aways, and I felt something down there with my toes, and I reached down in and I pulled up, uh, you know, some felt like some rocks or so on, and I opened my hand, and there was a beautiful, perfect arrowhead. Oh, that was a wonderful experience. Well, see, that's what we need to be as teachers. We need to be collectors like that. We're constantly looking for, for ideas, for things that we can bring into our classroom that will inspire thought and, and uh, inspire enthusiasm. So what are some of these things we need to be collecting? We need to be collectors of stories, good stories. I would almost guarantee that the teachers that you say were good teachers are ones that told good stories. That was one of the characteristics. That's not across the board, but you want to add that to your repertoire as a teacher. 
have some good stories. Just recently I ran across a story that really gripped me. It's a story that Tony Campolo tells. And it's about uh, a group of soldiers who were together. Uh, they were having a meal together. And they began telling stories. And one of these soldiers said, you know, I was at the Battle of the Bulge. And he began to relate what that was like. And he said, during that battle, he said the, the battle lines were completely obliterated. And he said, the, the commanders just told us to drop the rules. And he said, one day, our commander said, man, I want you to go out onto the battlefield and I want you to find, I want you to find Germans and, and shoot them. Just now, this was against Geneva Conventions. If you found a wounded man, you're supposed to take him captive. He said, I know it's against the rules, but we're in a battle where the rules don't apply anymore. Just go and shoot them. And so this man telling stories said, I went out. And he said, as I was, I was walking around the battlefield and I came to a man. And the man was, was sitting there. It was a German. He was sitting there with his back to a tree. So he was completely spent. No more energy. He wasn't wounded. It's just he was, had nothing left to go on with. No willpower left. And the man said, I, I picked up my gun and I aimed it at him. But before I could pull the trigger, the man says, stop, stop. Could you just wait and let me pray before you shoot me? The man telling the story said, I realized that here was a brother. And so he said, I went down and I sat down beside him there at the tree. He said, we began to talk. And he said, and I pulled out I pulled out my billfold and I showed him a picture of my family. And he said, he, he pulled out a picture of his children and, and we talked about our families. And then he said, we, we read from the Scriptures together. And we prayed. He said, oh, it was wonderful. And he stopped. And the people there at the, at the meal said, well, what did you do then? And the man didn't answer. And they said, what did you do? What did you do? What did you do? And the man said, I got up. And he said, I pointed my gun at him. And I said, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'll see you in heaven. And I shot him. Now I guarantee you that that story will get your students thinking about non-resistance. In ways that just introducing the subject will never do. We're going to get our students thinking, let's collect good stories that pull them in. Another way to, another thing to collect that uh, will help our students to think are good poems and also hymns. Thinking through the hymns and poetry. Great ways to get them thinking. Now, you may not like this poem, like maybe you didn't like that story necessarily, but uh, along the same theme, in, in American literature class in college, this is a poem that we studied, and it, it gripped me in a powerful way. It says, 
anyone recognize who the the author of this poem might be? <laughs> Janice is laughing. This is E.E. E. Cummings. Plato told him he couldn't believe it. Jesus told him he wouldn't believe it. Lotzi certainly told him. And General, yes ma'am, Sherman. And even, believe it or not, you told him, I told him, we told him, he didn't believe it. No, sir. It took a nipponized bit of the old 6th Avenue L on the top of his head to tell him. Have to think, don't you? What did Plato tell him and Jesus tell him and, and uh, Lao Tzu tell him? And General Sherman tell him? Anyone want to venture? Whatever it was, it took a nipponized piece of the old 6th Avenue L. Now there's some research we can do here. What's nipponized me? What's this old 6th Avenue L? Mm-hmm. What's that? Yeah, it's, uh, it was actually steel that we sold to the Japanese, that the Americans sold to the Japanese. And it took a piece of that in his head to tell him. Tell him what? Tell him the same thing that Plato told him. That Lao Tzu told him. What is it? Same thing that General Sherman told him. That's the giveaway. What's General Sherman known for? Or one of his lines? Anyone? Make a stab at it. I know you're scared to be wrong. Any ideas? Uh, no. No. Good, good effort there. You can say something. You're on the edge. Or is hell. Or is hell. <clears throat> you know, if you're an elementary teacher, that's not going to work too well. But what about uh, as I was going to St. Ives? Now there's a poem that uh, you have to think a little bit. <clears throat> okay. Another thing you can collect are puzzles. Mathematical puzzles. Uh, oh, there's a number that I really enjoy. Uh, there's, I'll just throw this one up quickly. Consider a rapidly growing beanstalk that doubles in height each day. On the 36th day, it reaches the moon. On what day was it halfway to the moon? How many of you know? Okay, number of you do. How many of you think you know? This one, it's surprising. The, the older, this one, for older people, gets, older people get this, uh, fairly easily. But throw it in, even with a group of high school students, and they'll struggle with it. Most of them. Okay, what is the answer? Someone? Okay, or the 35th day. There's lots of, of puzzles like that, that you can, uh, that you can use. Here's, here's one that supposedly, supposedly, uh, tripped up Albert Einstein. Now that's the legend. I'm not sure that we have the uh, verification of it. But here's the way the, I don't know, did I, I didn't include this in your uh, handout, did I? About the motorcyclist? This one goes like this. You have a motorcyclist that is traveling north at 50 miles per hour. Okay? And 500 miles away, there is another motorcyclist who is heading south 
at 30 miles per hour. So the one motorcycle is going this way at 50. This one is going this way at 30. They're 500 miles apart. When they're 500 miles apart, a fly begins to fly from the nose of the first motorcyclist to the nose of the second motorcyclist. And when he hits the nose of the second motorcyclist, he turns around and he heads back to the nose of the first one. And then he turns around and goes back to the nose of the second one and back and forth until the motorcyclist crash and he is trapped between them. That's the part of the story I like. <laughs> now, the, the question is, how far did the fly fly? The fly is traveling, I didn't tell you this, the fly is traveling at 240 miles per hour. Okay, That is not a hard problem. That's By the way, that's a clue. <laughs> uh, you, when you first think of it, you, you have to soon get lost and say, I'm going to need calculus or something to get this one. But you don't. It's really not a hard problem, depending on how you think of it. Okay? But uh, it's, a wonderful, it's a wonderful problem to use, either in junior high or high. But there's plenty for, for younger ones as well. Here's another one I really like, and I, I gotta, I'm going to have to stop with this. You have three books sitting on a shelf. Okay? All three books are identical in size. There is an inch of the, the pages themselves take up an inch. The covers are a quarter inch thick. So you have an inch of text and then each cover is a quarter inch thick. Therefore, each book takes up an inch and a half. Got it? A bookworm begins to eat its way from the first page of the first book through the last page of the last book. How far? Does the bookworm eat? That's the question. And once again, it's amazing all the different answers you will get from that one. Well, mathematical puzzles are one type of, of thing that you can collect to get your students thinking. Another, there's many other types of puzzles though as well. And uh, again, collect the good ones. Collect the ones that you can make work. Here's one. We have this, these tiles, and what I want you to do is to reverse the image with only moving three of them. How would you do it? Any suggestions? Yes. Okay. Oh, no, go ahead. Okay, so we're going to put it in right there. Right, right there, very good. Other types of brain teasers and so on. The language equations, I'm sure you're familiar with these. Email has, has disseminated these all over the place. But these are great. Uh, so, and I, I just include a list of them here. They will. They will get your students thinking. Guaranteed. Some of your students will take these and just latch onto them. I didn't put the answers here in your uh, uh, notes. I do have them. Uh, if, you would, if you just really get desperate, after about two years, you can email me and I'll send you the answers. Riddles. 
For younger students, they love these. And again, it's a way to get them thinking. Cryptograms. How many of you have done cryptograms? Not many, if any, okay? You'll have to start somewhat simple. I've just put one in here along with the answer. If you can do cryptograms, you can think in logical and reasonable ways. Basically what it is, they just switch the letters around on you. So in this case, the, the M is an I. Wherever there is an M, there will be an I through there. You really ought to take the challenge at least once in your life to try to do a cryptogram. It takes a long time, and it takes a lot of thinking and rethinking, and they, they can be tough. But uh, it is a good way to train the mind. Oh, there's so many other things. Uh, you know, I, here I have it back in the back. I won't even... Lookalikes. Some of you may be familiar with those. They just come out in the last, I don't know, last little while. But there are books in which there are pictures, scenery of... And you, the first blush, it looks like a regular picture. But then you start looking carefully and you see that it's just everyday things that make up that picture. And you can get books of these. Again, it's fascinating to students. They would just spend lots of time looking and trying to find the different... Uh, the different uh, things that are actually there in the picture. There's lots of little trinkets that you can get. Uh, I wasn't, I, since this we got switched around here this morning, I didn't have quite enough time to pull some of these things together, but I have a little rattleback, it's called. Little, little green or blue things about yay long, and you take it and you can set it on a counter, you flick it, and it'll spin one way, but then it'll stop and begin moving the other way. If you if you flick it counterclockwise, it'll keep moving counterclockwise. You flick it clockwise, and it'll move that way and stop, and then go the other way. Just little trinkets like that. But boy, you can sit there. We spent with my high school physics class. We spent an hour discussing the operation of that rattleback and why it did what it did. Okay, so we had to we had to think about that. The little hand puzzles, all kinds of things of that nature. Photographs. Photographs. I put, I don't know, did I leave a copy of this in your, your notes, the picture? Any ideas as to what this picture, uh, what it depicts? What do you think this is a photograph from? Any ideas? What? Did I hear somebody? Yes. Okay, watching a sports event. Good. Someone else? Okay, watching an inauguration. Okay, possibly this is at the fall of the Berlin Wall. Notice everything you're saying, you're putting within our generation for the most part. Why did you do that? There were apparently clues there that clued you in that this is a fairly modern picture, somewhat. Actually, none of you have the exact event yet. But it could be one of a thousand, really. And we could spend some time trying to, to determine the clues here that might help us know what the event was. This happens to be a picture taken during uh, John F. Kennedy's funeral procession in Washington, D.C. Okay, what are some other things? Again, now, please understand, I'm just trying to provoke your, your curiosity and your thinking and saying, you know, there's all kinds of stuff all over the place that I can collect 
that will get my students energized and involved. English teacher put this up on the bullet board or the blackboard. Woman without her man is nothing. And ask your students to punctuate that correctly. And you may want to think about how you might punctuate it. Now, what was kind of fascinating is that the men and the women tended to punctuate it differently. Who do you think punctuated it this way? The men. <laughs> Woman without her man is nothing. And the women tended to punctuate it this way. Woman <laughs> without her man is nothing. Well, you see, that's a little exercise you can do with your students. See how they would punctuate that. And we're out of time. But let me just say in closing that tool number five is probably where we should have started. There is nothing that you can do that I think that's going to increase your skill in training students' minds than learning to ask good, effective, precise questions. Questions that engage. Questions that pull your students into the thinking, learning, creative process. And the first guideline there, this is the one you need to underline, circle, and make a big deal out of, and that is you have to plan your questions in advance. Very seldom will you be able to ask really good questions on the spur of the moment and, until you're used to it. If you're going to ask good questions, you've got to plan them before the class starts. And if you will follow that one idea, you can become a teacher that can ask thought-provoking questions. For the most current Faith Builders recordings, visit ChristianLearning.org. And for more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit the docforlearning.org.